instead of telling ourselves that food is off limits or we are bad for eating them or we can't trust ourselves so we should never have it in the house, you actually do the opposite and you keep those foods that you once felt so out of control around, you actually keep those in the house regularly. And when you actually trust that you have permission to eat it whenever and you always have access to it, the food loses its power. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Brooke Miller from the Mama Well podcast. Her co-host, Alyssa, was back on episode 74, and in that episode, we focused on nutrition for our littles. But today, we are going to dive into nutrition, body image, and all things food as it relates to women and mothers. So Brooke, can you introduce yourself for our audience and tell us why you felt called to get into this work in the first place? Sure. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I'm a registered dietitian and I started out like so many other registered dietitians going into this field to help people, but also I secretly hoped I would find the perfect diet and the best health practices along the way. So when I was in college, I was studying exercise science. I was a college athlete, switched to nutrition. And during my internship to become a dietitian, I was constantly worried about how many calories I was eating, really um, paranoid about people judging me for my food preferences. I was constantly under eating and over exercising. But because dieting and overexercising is praised in our society, I thought I was being really healthy and I didn't see that I was doing anything wrong. So later I realized after years of working through my own body image work and eating enough for my body, that I was a much happier person when I was actually nourished and not constantly fighting against my body. So when I discovered this, I really just wanted all women, especially moms, to find this freedom too and experience it themselves and for their kids. Brooke, there's so much goodness in that answer already. And that's one of the biggest reasons we wanted to have you on is coming from the personal experience, but then also the education with your degree. And we have women in all different seasons of life, but most of our audience, they have children or they're expecting a child. And we know that once postpartum, we're always postpartum and our body, it goes through a lot of changes during this time between breastfeeding and hormone fluctuation, the cravings, less sleep. Like these little people years, they're really, really hard on a woman's body. And for the woman who's having a hard time with her postpartum body image, how do you begin speaking to her to really reshape this image? Yeah. First and foremost, I just want to say it is really hard. Our bodies go through an enormous transformation during this time. And it's okay if you're currently uncomfortable in your body right now and you're listening to this. You're not alone. One of the first and arguably one of the most important steps when it comes to body image is your current awareness around your body image. 
So I really encourage all of the listeners to start paying attention to how you are talking about your body, how you are talking about other people's bodies, what comments you're making about food or after you've eaten. You know, Some common things that we hear are, I'm so bad for eating this, or I shouldn't have that. I don't trust myself around that food, or I need to go to the gym and exercise this off because I ate bad food yesterday. And then once you're aware of your thoughts and your behaviors, you can ask yourself if this is how you would treat your best friend or your child, if this is how you would talk to your best friend or your child. And if the answer is no, then that's a sign to start paying attention and really starting to lean into this work. And then you can begin by asking yourself how you would respond to your friend or child in that moment and situation. And then look at it from like looking in a mirror and start speaking to yourself in the exact same way that you would speak to that person that you care about the most. Yeah. Interesting answer for me because I do want women to know that they can retrain that inner voice because a lot of us have gone before you and done this work. And I can tell you, like, you really can change the way that you talk to yourself. That being said, it is such a journey and that journey can have a lot of twists and turns. I know that I felt so strong and confident in my pregnant body and even in my postpartum body, but my third postpartum journey was just different and that was harder for me. First of all, things changed more slowly on the other end. And then also there were some things that I had to learn to accept. For example, more skin on my stomach that is not going to go away. So are there things that we can do daily to help with making this a more positive part of our life? Absolutely. And I just want to acknowledge what you said, Amy, because this is something that so many moms experience where their bodies look and feel very different with different pregnancies or even different seasons of life, like hello, COVID. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like I was postpartum, COVID was happening, I stopped breastfeeding. Like there's a lot of things that women go through and I think they can be so hard on themselves. Like why was it easier the last time or they just kind of flame themselves? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so just some tangible steps that people can start making first is again, being aware of how you're treating your body, how you're talking to your body and starting to address those and making changes if needed. This is really important for moms because our kids are picking up on what we say and what we do. And we're modeling to them our body image, whether we realize it or not. Um, So that awareness piece is really important. Another simple fix is to actually wear clothes that fit you today and let go of things that no longer serve you. I recommend going through your closet about every six months. And if that piece of clothing just isn't fitting you, if it doesn't bring you confidence or spark joy, as Marie Kondo would say, then I would get rid of it or donate it. So many times we think we should hold on to a smaller piece of clothing because it will give us motivation or willpower, but that actually isn't serving us in the long run. I would also recommend getting rid of the scale or tracking tools and start paying attention to any other triggers that might be creating a bad body image moment. So this might be an old photo, mirrors, 
Again, the scale is probably one of the biggest things that we see. And so we can even start removing some of these common triggers. I had a client that had to get ready in a different mirror every morning because one of her mirrors wasn't making her feel good when she was doing her hair and makeup because of the lighting and the angles and her just moving to a different bathroom made such a difference with her body image. And then a mantra that I love for people to start with is my body is always changing. And I don't know about you guys, but you know, the first six months with my son postpartum, my body went through a lot of changes, a lot of stress, a lot of postpartum anxiety. I actually lost weight really quickly. And then about a year postpartum, I had gained some of it back. And so it was just this constant, I'm two and a half years postpartum, and it's just been constant changes with my weight and with fluctuations. And so that mantra has been really helpful, just reminding ourselves that we're always aging and growing and that's okay. And then the last piece is just allowing yourself permission to sit in the grief and allowing some of those feelings and emotions to come in. We're so quick as humans to just try to push past discomfort and get out of that feeling. But it's actually really important to feel uncomfortable and sit with those changes and sit in the grief. And that's where you can start to move forward with you know, some gratitude or other things with body image. And Brooke, I really like that answer because I think for the women listening, they can latch on to multiple parts of that. So for me, I've struggled with body image since I was 12 years old. And removing the numbers, that was the part of that last answer that helped me the most. And the numbers on the scale, the numbers even on the clothes that I am buying. Like I'd no longer look at that number because I was so fixated on what that was and if it was different than where I was before or if I was making quote unquote improvements by having a lower number that now I'm like, hey, does this shirt fit? Doesn't matter what that number is. Just having those different pieces of it, maybe it is that my body is always changing and having that mantra in the back pocket Maybe that's what's going to help. So thank you for sharing that right away at the beginning because I think it gives women a lot of inspiration on what they can do right away to move forward. And a quick break from our podcast sponsor, which is BetterHelp. I have had conversations in the past with my therapist about different kinds of insecurities I've had with self-image and food and what to do, what not to do, how I look, just all the insecurities and challenges that surround it. And this is something that I'll be continuing to work on. I'm at a very good place right now, but my therapist, Susan, is still able to send me resources, check in through the chat feature, and just make sure that I'm on par with the recovery in this process. As we all know, any type of insecurity with body image, it doesn't just end. It's something that definitely follows us through. And it's something that we can continue to get help on. So if this is an area that you have a challenge on, or maybe your challenges are in marriage or in stress or in anxiety, or you're wanting to work on something else that just you keep stepping your toe on, BetterHelp Therapy has been so helpful for both Amy and I over the last couple of years here. Our Herself listeners can get 10% off their first month by going to betterhelp.com backslash herself. And again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com backslash herself. And that will get you 10% off and you can join the over 1 million people who are already using this service. How do we pass this along to our children? So as you know, most women in our community have children or expecting children. And we had a few listeners write in that they have friends who are having their 13-month-old, for instance, drink skim milk to lean them out. I know another one said that restricting her whole family's calorie intake was a goal that she's having right now. So are there specific things that we can do or maybe that we shouldn't do as moms to help our children right from the start? 
Oh my gosh, I love this question. So as a registered dietitian, I would never recommend putting a child on a diet. And I actually worked for years as a clinical dietitian. I worked with infants on breastfeeding. I worked with kids under five. And we never recommended to parents to cut calories or to like cut out major food groups, especially things like fat. Fat is one of the most important things for brain development. And so as children, as infants, fat is actually one of the most vital macronutrients. So we really shouldn't be cutting out fat, especially calories. So we can monitor our kids' health with things like lab values, signs and symptoms, and make some dietary adjustments if needed. But really growth and nourishment is critical and crucial for our children. It's also really important to feed ourselves enough and to feed ourselves and our children enough of a variety of foods so that we're not creating anything like malnourishment or vitamin and mineral deficiencies. So rather than focusing on what foods we can take away or how many calories we can restrict, it's really important to focus our attention on what foods we want to add into our home instead of what to restrict or cut out. And even if you look at a baby who's breastfeeding, I was a lactation consultant for a long time. And Babies who are breastfed, they let us know when they're done eating. You know, they come off the breast, they fall asleep. And so kids are actually born intuitive eaters. And we kind of take that away when we force feed them, when we make them finish all of their milk, when we make them finish, you know, cleaning their plate, when we force them to finish the bottle if they're growing up or clearly full and don't want any more. And so we as parents a lot of times start to remove some of the intuition that our children actually are really good at. And Abby, you and I probably have like a different take at this, but you know, with my son, he was, he was premature. He also has Down syndrome. He had open heart surgery. We really monitored his nutritional needs before heart surgery. I mean, very, very closely. I was pumping exclusively. And so I was able to monitor every ounce he was taking in. So there are some medical you know, needs that our children might have where we do really need to make sure that they're getting enough and that they're growing at a good pace. But again, medical nutrition therapy is a little bit different. And as a good rule of thumb, it's just about offering our kids a variety of foods and letting them tell us when they're done and when they've had enough. Yeah, that is really so interesting. My oldest boys are five and four now, and they still are such intuitive eaters. Say they're having a dessert and they feel full, they'll stop. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they stopped eating that ice cream. I don't make a big deal of it, but just like they really know when they're full and when they want to stop. And that's something that I really try to just let be and make sure that we're not having them finish their plate or anything like that. So I loved that point. I love that in this episode, we are focusing on the mom because as we all know, we are the models for our children. So the way that we're talking about food or our bodies, even if we think we can control it and have it be in private that we talk bad, that's probably not true. It's going to leak out and our kids are going to hear it. So this episode is really focused on being a good role model. And if you have to work on this, like that's okay. We're trying to come alongside of you. So 
I know a topic that you speak on so well is making sure that our own nutritional needs are met as moms. So as we all know, mom life can be exhausting and it can be easy to grab foods that are really quick, but they might not be the best to fuel our minds and our bodies. So what beginning tips do you have for our listeners who are working to better nourish themselves to prevent emotional changes, stress, and maybe even binges? Oh, yeah. This is such an important topic. And one of the best things we can do to prevent emotional eating, to prevent binges, and to fuel our bodies is to actually eat more during the day, which I know probably sounds counterintuitive to most people. But for us, that means eating about every two to four hours as moms, which is likely when our children are eating, they're probably eating every two to four hours too. So really sitting down and eating when they're eating or even eating when they're taking a nap. Sometimes it's really important to have a few mindful snacks or mindful meals by yourself where you can really slow down and pay attention. I'm also a firm believer in starting your morning with a balanced breakfast. And what that looks like is having protein, carbs, and fat at that meal. And it's so helpful for brain fog, for energy, and actually for preventing binges later on in the day. And I'm also a huge fan of having grab-and-go snacks that are constantly available in the fridge, the pantry, the car, and even the diaper bag. I notice so many times moms will say, all of a sudden I'm ravenous and now I'm going to eat everything in sight. And we maybe make decisions that we wouldn't normally make. And so it's better to have more snacks and more food readily available, even if you don't eat it every day. Some really simple grab-and-go snack ideas would be things like Lara bars, having fruit and nut butter in the home. Trail mix is a great grab-and-go snack. And then I'm a huge fan of full-fat Greek yogurt. You can put berries or granola in there. And then guacamole is amazing. Usually our kids like guacamole too. And you can do some days with veggies, some days with chips. And then hummus. I don't know. My my two-year-old is obsessed with hummus. He could literally put down a whole container of hummus. And so um, you can dip different things like pita bread or peppers into the hummus. So those are just some quick ideas, but really it's just about having things readily available. And it's okay if in that first month or two postpartum, you're doing more convenience foods than you normally do. That's okay. There's no reason to feel like guilt or shame about that. It's really just about making sure that you and the kids are fed. Fed is best. We just need to make sure that everybody is being fed first and foremost. And whatever that looks like in that situation is is really okay. Yeah. I mean, just having some of the snacks you mentioned on hand is a really good first step. I know that for moms, it's so hard because often a lot of women are putting themselves last. But to be the best version of ourselves, whether that's at motherhood, at work, in our relationships, we need to make sure that we are fueled. And so I want to know if you have some ideas for easy meals that people could make. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, you know, if we're not filling up our cup as a mom, and that can look like self-care, that can look like nourishment, it really starts to bleed into our marriage and our parenting. And so I just want to remind all the moms out there that 
none of this is selfish. You know, you making sure that you're fed and getting some alone time, those things aren't selfish at all. It's actually going to help your family. So in terms of meal ideas, I'm a huge fan of adjusting what your family already enjoys and what's easy for you to make. So really when you're cooking or planning out meals, just ask yourself, is there a protein, is there a carb, and is there a fat in this meal? And the reason we want to ideally have all three at meals is it keeps our blood sugar balanced. And that's actually really important for our overall health, our mood, and our energy levels. So if your kids request something and it's missing fat or it's missing protein, then you can actually just try adding one of those macronutrients in. So if your kids love pizza night, you can still do pizza night once a week or whenever you do it, but maybe experiment with different types of crusts. You know, there are crusts that are higher in protein or higher in fiber. You can mix up the vegetables that are on the pizza, which also gives you more fiber. And then you can try different types of meat or sauces, which will increase, you know, the fat and the protein levels. And so technically pizza is actually a balanced meal. Um, it's really just about making adjustments and adding variety. I do recommend that you can try one new recipe a week if that's something that you enjoy doing. But when you're trying to implement more than one new recipe a week, it can sometimes feel overwhelming. So I would really just start with what you already are making in your home and just make some small tweaks and adjustments there. And then if you're ever seeking out new recipes... I just honestly add a lot of things to the recipe. So I'll take a recipe I love off Pinterest and I'll just see how I can add in more fiber, more fat, and more protein into that meal. And honestly, it usually helps the flavor and texture too. Don't mind me over here just jotting down a whole bunch of notes (laughs) as you said that answer. Well, and it's that readily available that is so tricky for me. Um, everyone knows that both Amy and I aren't the cooks in our family, but Same. having <laughs> having it in the fridge and ready, like I can look at a fridge right now and if, if it's not grab and go and ready or easy, I will make something that isn't fueling and then end up either hangry, which isn't good for anybody, or what I used to fall into was binging because I wouldn't eat, wouldn't eat, wouldn't eat, would eat something that my body wasn't actually craving and then all of a sudden fall into this binging cycle. So that restricting and binging is something that I do not want to get back into. It's been years since I've fallen into that. And at the same time, I know the triggers for that specific piece. So what about those who are listening, who are ready to make nutritional changes, but their partners aren't on board yet? So do you have any recommendations that the whole family can enjoy more nutrient-dense meals and that mom isn't eating something different at every single one of those meals? Yeah. And I'm actually not the cook either. My husband loves cooking. He loves grocery shopping. But we do pick one day a week to plan out meals as a family. And so we just ask each other, what are you in the mood for? What types of you know, recipes do we want to make this week? What does our schedule look like? Do we have time to do a lot of cooking or is it going to be more simple meals this week? So if you have older kids, this is where you can even get them involved and say, hey, kids, husband, spouse, whoever's in the family, what types of meals do you want to see on the menu? That way everybody feels like they have some sort of input. And then you can always adjust the recipe or add in some extra things to kind of balance it out if it's missing, you know, protein, fat, or carbs with fiber. And then you can just make one meal with variations. 
I had a client who had, I think she had six kids and that her kids had different preferences. So she would just make one meal and there would be just different variations so that each child could kind of pick what types of sides they wanted or what types of toppings they wanted on their taco night. And so one example would just be maybe on the weekend, making a variety of meats on the grill, or we have a smoker that my husband's obsessed with. So we love to make things on the smoker. And then we usually throw together three or four different side dishes. And then everybody can pick and choose what they like. That way, everything is still readily available for the family, but we're not forcing ourselves to eat something we don't like, or that doesn't make us feel good. So an example, I have celiac disease. And so for the most part, we try to make meals that are just gluten-free. But if we do something like taco night, you know, they choose the flour tortillas and I have to choose corn tortillas. Or if we make burgers or sandwiches, they have regular bread and I eat gluten-free bread. So there's some small adjustments, but overall we're eating the same type of meal. It's just, there's going to be some small adjustments here and there. And overall, we just want to offer a variety of foods to our kids and we want to model eating all different types of foods with our kids. So we do want to model eating vegetables, but we also want to model that eating a cupcake is okay too. And what we don't want to see or what we want to avoid is we don't want our kids to always see that mom's always skipping pizza night because it's bad and she's on a diet and she has to eat a salad and she looks sad because she can't participate in pizza night. That's what we want to avoid because that sends a message to our kids that eating pizza is bad or in order to be like mom, they should maybe diet too. So that's kind of the messaging piece that we just want to keep a close eye on. This episode is brought to you by our partner, Gooder. Abby and I, Colin and Drew, we all love our Gooder sunglasses. And the good news is there is truly a style for everyone and every head size. So my favorites are Bosley's Basset Hound Dreams and I love the Mick and Keese Midnight Ramble. These are my go-to for every occasion. I like Mick and Keith's Midnight Ramble for the boat, while I would use Basley's Basset Hound Dreams with any outfit. So you can head over to gooder.com and use the code HERSELF15 for 15% off your first order. That's G-O-O-D-R.com and HERSELF15 for 15% off your first order. So I've talked about intuitive eating on the podcast before, and Abby and I's good friend and co-host of Pursuing Her Purpose, Kat, she's a registered dietitian, and she always recommends that people talk or learn from a registered dietitian when it comes to intuitive eating. So Brooke, how do you specifically teach on this subject? And I would love it if you got really tangible so that people that might be looking to start on an intuitive eating journey would know where to. Oh yeah. Such a great question. And I love Kat. She actually just coached me, I think last week in our program and she's amazing. So intuitive eating is a framework that was created by two registered dietitians. And it's a framework that I believe in because I've seen it change clients' lives and I've seen it change my life. And the first step I always recommend is to start with the intuitive eating book 
You can listen to it on audiobook. You can read it. I just would not rush through this book. It could be a quick read, but to actually start implementing everything in it, you do have to go kind of slow. And then if body image is something that you're really, really struggling with, I would also recommend the book Breaking Free from Body Shame from Jess Connolly. And then if you grew up with this mindset that smaller is better, you know, smaller is healthy, then another great book I would recommend is Health at Every Size with Lindo Bacon. So those are kind of the three books I would start with. There are plenty of other books I recommend, but first you don't want to overwhelm yourself too early. And then podcasts are also a great resource. So Alyssa and I talk about intuitive eating in every episode of the Mama Well podcast. So you can start there. And there are a ton of other registered dietitians and therapists who have podcasts talking about intuitive eating. And then just really starting to monitor your Instagram and who you follow and who you can start following. And so if you notice that any accounts you're following, they're constantly talking about dieting or fixing their body or recommending some dangerous things, I would really mute them or unfollow them. And then just start seeking out dietitians and therapists who are aligned with intuitive eating or health at every size. And just start, you know, getting more of that in your environment with what you see and hear. But inside of the Mama Well, we really walk through all of the steps of intuitive eating, but we have our own framework. And so our own framework is that awareness piece is so important. So with body image, with our nutrition, with our habits, it's about being aware of what we're currently doing and what our thoughts and behaviors are, where they're at. And then we go into learning. So we really unlearn everything that we learned from diet culture and start relearning some of these principles of intuitive eating and learning what things are going to benefit us. And then implementation is the next stage. And that's where we just experiment with mindful eating. We experiment with adding in joyful movement. We experiment with healthy habits, like getting more sleep, asking for help, you know, getting in self-care. And then that thriving stage is just where all of this starts to get easier and you're able to implement more things on top of one another. That's what it kind of looks like. Yeah. I love that piece about monitoring who you're following on Instagram because we all know that it's very trendy and popular for people to post about what they eat in a day. And if there is a woman that has a smaller body and People want to be exactly like her. I see the comments flood in, like, please tell us what you eat in a day. Please tell us what you eat. And in my mind, I'm like, one message I have for women is like, it doesn't matter like what she eats. Like you could eat the exact same thing and your result is going to be different. And so I wish that that is one message that women would understand is like, you can't just copy someone else's playbook and get the same result. It's like, really, you've got to get to know your body and fuel it in a way that you're able to go and thrive. Amen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and a big part of that intuitive eating is trusting yourself and figuring out what do you need. And I think a deep-rooted fear in women is that they will be more out of control if they don't have those food rules for themselves. So Brooke, can you dispel this myth? Yeah, that is probably one of the most common fears with intuitive eating is I can't trust myself around food. I'm never going to stop eating. I'm going to gain all of this weight. But honestly, those fears, 
they do go away pretty quickly when you jump all in. And so we talk in depth about habituation around certain foods inside of the mama well, which means instead of telling ourselves that food is off limits or we are bad for eating them or we can't trust ourselves so we should never have it in the house, you actually do the opposite and you keep those foods that you once felt so out of control around. You actually keep those in the house regularly, which sounds very scary right away. But typically after a few days or a week, you start to realize that the food is just food. And when you actually trust that you have permission to eat it whenever, and you always have access to it, the food loses its power. I've had clients you know, fear chocolate um, or a specific food. They think about it all the time. And once they have permission to finally eat it, sometimes they realize that that food wasn't even tasting that good and they preferred other things. So one specific client stands out to me. She felt out of control around chocolate. And so I encouraged her to keep lots of different chocolate in the house. And within three days, she messaged me and said, you know, I'm kind of over chocolate and I really craved a pear today. And it's not that fruit is better than chocolate. Really both can fit into a healthy lifestyle. For her, the chocolate lost its power and now she can enjoy it guilt-free and it can just sit in her pantry. So if you're eating enough during the day, balancing your plate and blood sugar and mindfully eating, this also will help with emotional eating and feeling out of control around these foods. So they really all play you know, a part in getting to this place where you can have all foods in the house and feel good about having all foods in the house. Yes. And I love that because I've had that personal experience myself. I used to really binge on chips. It was like, I didn't want them in my house because I felt like I couldn't control how many I would eat. And then as I kind of grew and I learned about this and changed my mind around, no, they are allowed in the house and they're available to me if I want to eat them, that took away the binges. And I think it sounds so counterintuitive to people. I really think that this is a hard concept for people to accept, but I'm telling you, (laughs) Drew Kiefer keeps a bunch of chips in our house and I can eat them if I want to and there's no longer that battle with them. I think what intuitive eating brought to my life is a big calmness around food. And that is something that we wanted to share with our listeners because I know that a lot of women still struggle with this subject. And if we can bring on experts to help them learn more, that's exactly what we want to do. So Brooke, this has been such a valuable episode for our audience. And I would love it if you let people know where they could find more of you. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. It was so much fun. And you can find me on Instagram over at the.mama.well and at nutrition.for.mamas. And you can also follow us over at the Mama Well Podcast. Podcasting is literally one of my favorite things in the world. I could talk forever. We just love podcasting so much. So you can find us at any of those places. Amazing. And for those of you who do struggle with any type of insecurity around body image or food freedom and you're wanting more of that, Brooke has so many good resources. So definitely check out those resources. And thank you again, Brooke, so much for being on today. Yeah, thank you so much. 